A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Guerrero. The 11 Olympic team members slain in West Germany. The Olympic Games. So geheimt war eine Brüder in Amerika. Von Kaufen Schabes hat es getan. Out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little. It is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geber. Welcome, everyone, to Jewish History Soundbites. This is Yehuda Geber with another episode of Jewish History Soundbites. And this episode is once again... Uh, dedicated by the Schoenfeld family, the Zecher Nishmas, Rabbi Fabian Schoenfeld. And this is part two of the story of Rabbi Schoenfeld and how that's a prism to the Jewish world of the 20th century. So part one, we discussed his growing up in Vienna and and his escape from the Nazis, the kinder transport, his years in England, his early years in the United States. Um, and, and, and here we move on to the rabbinic world, that he becomes a part of. 1952, there's a shul that starts in a basement in Kew Garden Hills, and uh, he becomes the young Israel of Kew Garden Hills, and he's informally the rabbi at first, which is very often how these things happen. And then uh, the neighborhood grows, and people are moving in. They're moving out of the Brooklyn neighborhoods to further out, as Kew Gardens is already deep into Queens, and um, and uh, and they they have a building, Eventually, there's a group of dedicated Balabatim laymen who build the shul, and they built uh, they built the neighborhood. Um, and uh, in fact, the shul affiliated with the shul initially is a Talmud Torah, which funds the shul tuition. It's a private school. There's at one point five hundred children in this Talmud Torah in Kew Garden Hills that was affiliated with the shul. So Rabbi Fabian Schoenfeld joins the RCA. And he eventually becomes president of the RCA, Rabbinical Council of America. So he influences both his shul and then the local neighborhood scene and then the larger national uh, rabbinic scene. And the biggest issue at that time was the synagogue council. The synagogue council was also a great story. Um, they, it was a unified synagogue council between all the do- denominations in American Jewish life, of reform, conservative, reconstruction, and to a limited extent also the Orthodox. So the RCA was officially involved for many years. The OU was officially involved for many years. Um, there's a famous letter uh, in the 1950s from the 11 Rashi Yeshiva forbidding the involvement. Uh, Rabbi Schoenfeld pointed out that Soloveitchik, he was not in favor of the synagogue council, but he wasn't against it. So there's you know, something that, you know, you could use it. So he, you know, that was a struggle at the time that he had to grapple with. Um, and that put him in a position, to, to be, you know, a political position. He's the head of the RCA. In fact, he, um, and during the Nixon administration, when the Vietnam War was raging, so they wanted to draft 
Um, it sounds almost like an Israel story or a Russian story. Here you have it in America. They wanted to change the law that yeshiva, that eventually, I guess not only yeshiva students, all divinity students, presumably, would be drafted into the United States Army, the military. Um, so, so the, the so, so the, they had to lobby, um, the, the, to protect the yeshiva students. So him in this capacity, in their rabbinical capacity, as head of the RCA, which, God forbid, was part of the synagogue council, he used that as a platform to help the yeshiva guys, uh, get out of the draft in the American army, and to his credit, he was able to stop it. Um, that was the beginning of his political affiliation. He eventually, delivered a prayer at the 1980 Republican National Convention of Ronald Reagan, who he subsequently met several times. Um, but he was a, he wasn't just a national rabbi, he was a pulpit rabbi, a rabbi who was close uh, with his community. He was, he was a rabbi's rabbi. He was, there was, there were widows in his community who he called every Shabbos for decades. Every Arab Shabbos, excuse me, every Friday before Shabbos for decades. He was, Comfortable in all all worlds, he you know got along with everybody. He had friends who were bishops and reform rabbis and politicians and the greatest Rosh Yeshiva. We'll speak soon, hopefully, about his close relationship with Rabbi Cutler. Um, so he's officially he's a rabbi in the young Israel, and officially he's in the RCA and and part of the Yeshiva University world. But his Neila speech every year was in Yiddish because he felt that before Neila, how could you speak in anything but Yiddish? He was a tremendous orator as well, and he had packed audiences by his Shabbos Agadol drashes. So he was very much in in all worlds. Um, he you know he wasn't just a, a orator. He paskined all kinds of thorny, complicated questions. In fact, just uh, recently, when there was all kinds of coronavirus uh, questions arising during the first wave, and people like Rabbi Shechter and other big paskim were grappling with questions about pushing off burial because he couldn't bury right away. So Rabbi Shechter remembered that in the 1960s, 50 years earlier, Rabbi Schoenfeld had written a tshuva on the matter because there was a gravedigger strike in the state of Israel, and the question arose about pushing off a burial there as well. And they applied that halachic decision that he made in the 60s to the contemporary issue of the coronavirus. So... so um, in fact, uh, he he uh, he. Um, there was once a official dinner or meeting in Yerushalayim that he was with the Prime Minister Yitzchak Shamir, and he was sitting next to a prominent Reform Rabbi Alexander Schindler, who was one of the prominent uh, rabbis in the Reform in Reform Judaism. And he noticed that he kept on looking at his watch. He's sitting here with the Israeli Prime Minister. What's going on? So he said, Rabbi Schoenfeld said, I have a meeting with the Ger Rebbe, the Pnei Menachem. So Alexander Schindler said, Ah, oh, you believe in Rebbe's? He said, Of course I believe in Rebbe's. And he started to tell him what, who the Pnei Menachem is. So, so this Schindler, he said, I don't believe in Rebbe's. And he said, I'll tell you something. When I was a young boy, I got a blessing from a great Rebbe. And he said, I should have Yerush Shemayim. And look how I turned out. So you see, he can't believe in the Rebbe's blessing. So Rabbi Schoenfeld, without missing a beat, he says to him, what do you mean? The blessing uh, was fulfilled. You should have been a galach, you should have been a priest, and here you turned out you're a reform rabbi. It's not so bad after all. And in fact, many pointed out the fact that Rabbi Fabian Schoenfeld kept the RCA in line during his tenure there. Um, and, uh, and, and his influence, uh, again, like not only 
at the national level, but in his own neighborhood. In fact, in Kew Gardens, he wasn't limited to influencing his own shul, Young Israel. He tried to help other minyanim get established in the neighborhood. When there was a new shtibel who tried to open up and they didn't have a minyan, and this new rabbi who was kind of intruding on his turf and intruding on his territory, he complained to Rabbi Shonfeld he doesn't have a minyan. Rabbi Shonfeld himself went for several weeks, not to his own shul, he went to, to, to this other rabbi's shul, to shtibel, to help him get him started in the neighborhood to, to get a minyan. He would point out that he had three great teachers. His father which is the influence of Ger Hasidus and the Ger Rebbe's and the, and the uh, Sfasemes, uh, that world. And then there was, of course, Rav Soloveitchik. And then through the writings of Rav Hirsch, he felt himself that he was a student of Rav Shamshin Rafal Hirsch as well in the whole Torah and Derech Eretz philosophy. And he felt that even though that they come from three different uh, world views, um, but they really complemented each other and there's a lot of similarities in their thought process. And he said... Um, at heart, he's a Gera Chassid, but the Rav Solveitchik was his main teacher. He once brought the Pnei Menachem to Rav Solveitchik, in, in, in fact, and, and, the, and, their, and the Gera Rebbe said, oh, you could see that he's the real brisk, whatever that means. Um, and he, uh, he, said, he said the trick was, and his accomplishment in life, Rav Schoenfeld, was that he was able to get along with everyone. And he said he learned from Rav Solveitchik that even when you disagree with people, don't call them names. No name-calling. There's a lot of name-calling out there. You never never insult anybody. You can disagree and argue, but never let it get personal. And he said, uh, Rabbi Schoenfeld said, when he was in the hospital once, he got flowers from both the Hadassah, a Zionist organization, and from Peace Now, from Shalom Achshav. And he had a lot of sharp disagreements with Peace Now. But um, they respected him, and they sent him flowers when he was in the hospital. He said, what makes someone a successful Rav is the emphasis on interpersonal relationships on tolerance, and, um, and that was the, and his greatest accomplishment. And his, greatest, his greatest accomplishment was building his shul, the Young Israel, in Kew Gardens, and also that he never, never did any name-calling. So his, uh, his, he had a lot of relationships with political leaders. Like I said, um, his first visit to Israel was in 1961. In fact, after his mother's tragic uh, passing in an airplane crash, so his father forbade him from ever flying in a plane. So originally, when he went to visit Israel, he went by boat. Uh, but then in the late 60s, it already wasn't relevant anymore to go by boat. So he convinced his father, and his father allowed him to, to take a plane. Um, he was also very close with uh, President Ronald Reagan. Um, one time, Reagan wanted to visit the shul on a campaign stop on Friday afternoon. And uh, Rabbi Schoenfeld did not allow it. He said he was worried that it would, because of the whole entourage and coming and going, it would cause Chil Shabbos. So he didn't allow President Reagan to come to speak in the shul on Friday afternoon. So instead, Reagan went to the local conservative temple. Um, and once we're talking about campaign stops, so, so future President Carter and future President uh, Clinton on their campaigns before they were president spoke at his shuls. So he had a relationship with them as well. Um, the um, Like I said, he already had a, a affiliation with Nixon when it came to... Uh, the draft during the Vietnam War, but he met Nixon again with a group of Jewish activists in the Oval Office, and Kissinger was there, and they and and and, and Nixon was trying was was uh, set, start open the meeting. He said, "Look, um, uh, you know the the the, the, the two, two main topics of the meeting were the Israeli Arab conflict and the Soviet Jewry," and he said, and Nixon said, "I'm not pro Arab and I'm not pro Israel. I'm pro peace," and he said, "Look how I." 
resupplied the Israeli army during the Yom Kippur War. So he like started off with these rabbis in the room to try to convince them that he's, you know, that he's okay and he's a good guy. Um, so Rabbi Schoenfeld is involved in the President's Conference in in many amazing amount of Jewish organizations at the time in Torah Misaira and in in uh, in Chinuch uh, which is how he was close to the Baron Cutler. He also, in fact, he met Colin Colin Powell, and he said Colin Powell, who grew up in the Bronx, knew Yiddish. And someone, one of the, when they had this meeting, and there's all kinds of Jewish activists there, so one of them started speaking to him in Yiddish, and he answered in perfect Yiddish. And not only that, but this person uh, speaking to him says to him, "Do dive zagin, whatever you have to say like this." And 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 Colin Powell interrupted and said. You should speak to me in the respectful ear. The ear is a plural you, the royal you in Yiddish, and not do. Don't speak to me as do, that's disrespectful. So he, he even knew the subtleties of Yiddish, or knows, I think he's still around. Um, and because he grew up in the Bronx, he dealt with Jews from a young age. But Rabbi Schoenfeld was, uh, was uh, he knew many Israeli politicians, Golda Meir, um, he, uh, he, uh, he, uh, he, he, he once met Levi Eshkol after the Six Day War. Levi Eshkol loves speaking Yiddish also. And Levi Eshkol told him, he said, after the Six Day War, they got all this new territory. They got the Sinai and the West Bank and the Golan Heights. Levi Eshkol says to him, he said, the, the Naden is Ashena Naden. We got a good dowry over the Kala. He said the kala is the problem. <laughs> so that was that was Levi Eshkol's sum, summation of the uh, of the six day war in a very high mission way. Golda Meir actually came to speak in YU once, and uh, he, she when she spoke in YU, she said, "You know why I am what I am today." And she was not religious in the in the, I mean in the in that, by any definition of the word. Uh, she was any, nothing close. She was quite anti, but uh, antagonistic, I should say. But this is what she said in, in Yeshiva University. She said, uh, my father, when he was in the Tsar's army, never ate shreif. And that's why I'm able to be what I am today. Very interesting. But the closest uh, politician he ever was with, and he considered him a personal friend, was with Menachem Begin. He also brought him to Yeshiva University to speak. And he spoke at his shul in Kew Gardens. He brought him to meet uh, Rav Salvechik because they were both, because they, you know, Begin grew up in Brisk. Um, See, so he, uh, so he said, it's interesting because this is a clarification, a correction rather, of what I said in an, a recent episode about Rav Simcha Zelig-Rieger. I mentioned then that I saw a source that said that uh, Begin witnessed Rav Simcha Zelig-Rieger, the Brisker Dayan, uh, getting beaten up by the Nazis during the war. And I said the story can't be, and it obviously means that Begin had faulty recollection because he was never in Brisk during the Second World War. Uh, so it turns out that what Begin himself said was a different story. So it wasn't a problem of Begin's recollection, it's a problem of misquoting of the sources. What it turns out that what Begin said to Rabbi Schoenfeld was that when he was seven years old, which was way, way many years before the war broke out, when he was a young child, he saw Rabbi Chazal Grieger, the Brisker Dain, his, getting, his beard getting tugged by a Polish anti-Semite. The Nazis were, didn't exist at the time, definitely not in Poland. Um, so this was, and his father then stuck up for him, and he asked his father, how could you do that? He could have killed you. Uh, so Begin's father said to him, two things, you can never allow a Jew's beard to get pulled by an anti-Semite, and even if they do kill you, 
you're dying Al-Kiddush Hashem. And Begin said, that's what keeps me going my entire life. Those two things. that Never allow a Yid to get shepherd by a non-Jew. And if, and if you get killed for it, so you're dying Al-Kiddush Hashem. And that's, that's, uh, that's what he said. Uh, that's what Begin said kept him going his whole life. Um, now, uh, now, um, so, um, he, Rabbi Schoenfeld lived, uh, like I said, in part one. He lived in all worlds. Um, and he was able to get along with everyone from the, he even, even knew Hussein, uh, King Hussein of Jordan. He met him a couple of times. He was able to get along with everybody. Um, so, but he said, my political connections, I don't like politics. I'm not involved in politics for glory or for anything else. Any involvement I have is to help the Jewish people. That's how he saw it. And that's how he saw Zionism. He said he's not Zionist in any political way. He is, he's not in Zionism in any that the, whatever the state says is holy. He's Zionist in the fact that it's, that it's Eretz Yisrael, that it's, uh, that it's something that, uh, that is, that a Jewish state exists now. That's something that's very gratifying to him. Um, so again, he was very nuanced in the way that he was able to react to the great events happening in Jew- in the Jewish world in the 20th century with such a balance that he was able to uh, get along with everybody. In fact, uh, when uh, when after the Six Day War, when they captured Harabayit Biyadena, which is in the uh, introduction intro to every audio intro to every Jewish history soundbites uh, um, episode, uh, so he he got out on FDR Drive. And he started dancing with his son, who, which very much embarrassed his son, but it, he got out in the middle of FDR Drive in Manhattan to start to dance. Um, so, but he was very close with many of the great Torah leaders of his day. Like every Ger Rebbe, like I said uh, in part one, the Pnei Menachem, with, you know, we started with, with his father, with the Ger Rebbe, the Imre Emes, in Europe. Um, and, uh, and, um, he met Rameir Shapiro, like I mentioned. He met all these other great Torah leaders in, in Vienna as a child. He's also close as a rabbi, as a communal rabbi in the United States. He was very close with Rabbi Feinstein. One time, actually, there was a controversy involving Rav Shlomo Goren, the chief rabbi in Israel. So Rabbi Schoenfeld was trying to broker, be the go-between, so he went to speak to Rabbi Moshe Feinstein about it, and he said, you know, it could be that Rav Goran is a, is a, is a shtickle meshugan, is a little bit crazy, but he's a big Talmud Chacham. So Rabbi Moshe says to him, when you get on an airplane, if the pilot was a shtickle meshugana, you would not get on the plane. Said the Rav Rashi, the chief rabbi of the state of Israel, this is what Maisha said, needs to be the pilot of the Jewish people. And therefore, we can't settle for anything less. Very, very interesting uh, assessment. But um, one of his most interesting relationships was the what he had with Rabaran Cutler. Uh, he knew Rabaran Cutler already in, uh, in, in Vienna. He knew him. He met him. Met him as a child. Um, and later on, he developed a close connection to him in, in America. Rab Aaron once called him in a letter that he wrote, Yedidi, my dear friend. Fascinating. Um, so his main connection to Rab Aaron 
was uh, when Rabaran uh, was founding the Chinuch Atzmoy, and he was trying to get as much funding possible for the independent religious school system in Israel, which Rabaran took, founded it and took personal responsibility for. So he wanted the RCA to be able to run a campaign. Now, how is Rabaran going to get a connection to the RCA? So he asked Rav Salvechik to get involved to help the RCA fundraiser. So he asked, he called her a Salvechik, and Salvechik said, "Okay, yeah." Rabaran said, "So no problem." So, so he needs to find a chairman to run the fundraiser. So Rav Salvechik uh, called up Rabbi Fabian Schoenfeld. Is in the mid nineteen fifties, fifty six, I believe. And um, he said, I went through the lists of all my students, and the only one who I could think that it's appropriate for such a position is you. And therefore, you have to run the, uh, or I'm asking you to run the RCA uh, campaign. So he says, okay, I'll do it. That's, that's it. I'll do it. So when he gets back to his, his office, so he gets a phone, his secretary gets a phone call. The secretary was this American woman who did not know, you know, European, Litvish, or Yiddish. And she says to him, there's some old rabbi on the phone speaking in Yiddish. Old Jew. She didn't even know if it was a rabbi or not. So, okay. So he takes the phone and he said, yes. He says, he says, Harav Schoenfeld. He says, yes. He says, Reto Kotler. This is Kotler speaking. And he says, who? Who's Kotler? He says, Kotler, 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 Kotler. He said, who? Who is it? He was thrown off. He didn't know who it was. He says, "New Cutler from Lakewood." He says, "Oh," he said, "Oh," he said he wanted to faint on the spot. He said, "Rab Aaron was on the phone." He says, "What can I do for the Rosh Hashiva?" So he says, "I just got off the phone with Harav Soloveitchik. I got off the phone with Harav Soloveitchik, and he told me that you're going to run the RCA campaign, and I wanted to call you to thank you, and I also want to wish you a bracha v'hatzlacha with the campaign." And so Rab Aaron, you know, kept things going. Um, so that they that got the and then famously the later that time later that year there was a dinner where Rav Salvechik was the guest speaker and Rabaran was there was was being honored. Um, so the uh, the uh, um, that was a a a very very fascinating story about that 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 connection there. Um, another another story he had indirectly with Rabaran um, was was indirectly was when he was building his shul in Kew Garden Hills. So the architect that was building the shul was the same one that Rav Aaron had used to build Beis Medrash Gavaya in Lakewood. So he told them a story about Rav Aaron. So one time they were reviewing the plans, and they ran into an engineering problem. Certain things couldn't fit in, but they couldn't figure out how to reconfigure the whole, the whole thing. So Rav Aaron came in and he asked, what's the problem? So they said, yeah, it's, don't worry, Rosh Hashiva, it's not for you. So he said, no, 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 tell me the problem. So they explained him the problem, and literally within minutes, he solved the whole thing. He redesigned it, he redid the numbers, the whole mathematical calculations, and they were amazed. They said, did you have a background in engineering, in mathematics? You know, his older sister wanted him to have a background in mathematics, but he didn't. So he said, no, but if I could understand Rashi and Taisus, then I can figure this out also. It's not a big deal. Um, that was another story, indirect story out of the barn. But he met Rabaran, like I said, when he was a young boy in, in, uh, in Vienna. His father was, like I said, the general, in part one, I said how his father was the general secretary of the World Aguda, and he was on the Vat HaPoyal, the committee, the executive committee of, uh, of uh, Aguda Sistral. 
His name was Shapsi Schoenfeld. Uh, you know, the central offices of the Agud, I mentioned the part one, were in Vienna. So he took him along to see the great Torah leaders at these meetings. There was a Moyetzes G'dayli Atara meeting, so that one of them was in Vienna. And he said Rabban was young, he was a short, a short rabbi with a flaming red beard. Um, and Yaakov Rosenheim chaired the meeting. And Rab- I was very heated in meeting. Rabban got very heated and excited. So he, at one point, he banged on the table with an inkwell that was, that was sitting there on the table. And the ink got all over the table. And Rosenheim, who was a yucky, and he cha- was the chair of the meeting, he, he, he said, he stops the meeting and he said, Harav Kotler, uh, it says in the Gemara, Hashauver Kalim Bachamasau, the one who breaks Kalim, the inkwell, in, in, in anger, and he didn't continue what the Gemara says. Now, the Gemara says that it's Ke'ilu Oyved Avoidizar, and Rosenheim, out of respect for Rabarin Cutler, didn't finish off that, uh, that, that, uh, that Gemara. So he said Rabarin felt bad afterwards. But that just shows how you know, how, you know, excited and Rabban was very, very strong-minded about any position he held. Uh, there was a dispute at one of the Aguda meetings that met. He Rabban used to come to Kew Garden Hills for uh, for um, for fundraise to fundraise for Lakewood. Uh, one time he asked Rabban, "Why did you put a stop to the conventions, the rabbinical conventions that used to take place? Lake Lake was a resort town at the time. There were all kinds of conventions, and at one point Rabban." You know, didn't like it, so he put a put a stop to it. It shouldn't take place in Lakewood. So Rabbi Schoenfeld asked him why. So he said because um, Rav Solveitchik and very often his great, uh, many of his great rabbinical uh, students would be the main speakers at these conventions, and I my Talmidim in Lakewood would go see Rav Solveitchik, and they'd see some of his Talmidim, and they'd be impressed. Look, these people can go to college and still be great Talmidi Chachamim and great uh, Torah scholars. So I didn't want them to have that influence because I disagree with that approach. And Rav Salvechik was able to do it, good for him. But I, it's not the education I want to give my own students. So I'm scared that they're going to be impressed by that. So I don't want these conventions to take place in Lakewood anymore. Another time, he, Rabbi Schoenfeld asked Rabban Cutler, uh, when he came for again for a fundraiser, he used to bring his kids to see Rabban. He would go, he go to these uh, parlor meetings. He would bring his little children to go see Rabban. He said that he, he got a chinuch from his own father in Vienna that, to meet Gedele Yisrael, to meet the great Torah leaders. So um, he wanted to inculcate his own children with that uh, philosophy as well. Um, so he would bring them to meet Rabban. So on another occasion, he asked Rabban, um, I understand that you allow your students from Lakewood to become Hebrew teachers in conservative temples. Is that true and why? So Rabban said, of course, I allow it. He said, if you want to become a rabbi in a conservative temple, no way. No way. Why? Because then you're going to be swayed, you're going to be influenced by the Balabatim, by the laymen of the community who are going to, you know, they're paying the rabbi's salary, they're going to influence him, he's going to have to listen to them. But if you're going to be a teacher in the Hebrew school, then you can influence the children. And and that's exactly the opposite. We should have have uh, send send uh, you know I should send my talmidim to become the Hebrew teachers at the Hebrew school because then perhaps they can have a positive influence uh, on their tra- the future of their traditional Jewish life. Um, he met Reb Aaron um, uh, many times to discuss issues in the RCA and the Gadis Yisrael, Tyro Masira, um at con- you know different conventions and meetings. He said Rabban cared about every little thing. At the Tyre Messiah conventions in the early days was held at these Jewish hotels. 
which, you know, they had mixed seating and the kashras was questionable. There was no official certification. So one time Rabaran was sitting at one of the tables at these this term of conventions. He, he witnessed this, or Rishonfa witnessed this. He saw this interaction in front of him. And he called over the owner of the hotel and he said, uh, what, what, what goes on in the kitchen? Tell me about it. And he started asking him. So he said, do you have non-Jews working in the kitchen? So he said, yes. He said, and what about Bishal Akum? So he said, I, I guess that's an issue. So he said, promise me that from now on, you're going to always ensure that a Jew will turn on the fire. And he said that Rab Aaron, you know, was, he himself, you know, he didn't have to, he wasn't going to eat there. And it wasn't, it wasn't his, well, that he was hungry and he wanted, to, he was ensuring that this Jewish hotel that so many Jews are patronizing would now have at least a kashras issue taken care of. Um, Rab Aaron Cutler is also, Rabbi Schoenfeld seems to have been involved in at a later point. But when the state of Israel was founded and the Aguda, uh, Aguda Sistral joined the government, Rab Aaron, um, had a big dispute with the Israeli Agoda uh, against them. He said they should leave the government. They should not be participants in the Israeli government. And it was a whole dispute within the Agoda. Rabbi Aaron was very strongly in his position that they should not be part of the government, while the Israeli Agoda, led by Rabbi Shemayel Levine, the son-in-law of the Gerabah, refused. Um, and there was, um, it was a, it was a, a whole uh, disagreement uh, at that time. And Rabbi Aaron never yielded one inch. He was knew what he believed in, and he stayed with it uh, the entire way. Um, Rav Salvechik, he said, came to the Leviah Rabarn, but they did not invite him to speak, uh, and he was very upset about that. He was very disappointed. He planned on giving uh, his own hesped later on in the, in, in, in the yeshiva, in but uh, that never worked out. Um, and then, of course, Rabbi Schoenfeld was also the one who met Rabarn Cutler's older sister in the old age home in Washington Heights, and he said, and she asked him, what do you want to become? She said, I want to become a rabbi. He said, don't become a rabbi. My younger brother became a rabbi and nothing became of him. You ever heard of him? He's, he's in uh, Lakewood, uh, Aaron, Aaron Cutler. He's a Muhammad. He's a Muhammad, a successful Muhammad. That's, that's what he became. That's, uh, so that's, uh, that was her perspective. Um, he, but he did say, Rabbi Shonville did say that uh, Rabbi Aaron would take care of her. I mentioned this on another episode. Rabbi Aaron would visit her once a week and uh, make sure she was fed and taken care of um, and uh, very dedicated to that sister. So that's uh, part one. Part, excuse me. This is part two about the world, the living history, the prism into Jewish life of the 20th century through the uh, life story of Rabbi uh, Fabian Schoenfeld. So this is Yehuda Geber of Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at Yehuda at YehudaGeber.com for questions, comments, sources, tours, trips, sponsorships, lectures. You can subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on, at, on Podbean or on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on Twitter at JSoundbites, and I hope you enjoyed.